Welcome to Spirits of Whiskey. We explore the wide world of whiskey through the many colorful personalities who make it, promote it, write about it, and more. With each podcast, Carrie Moynihan, a certified bourbon steward and bartender, and yours truly, Philip Dobar, director of the Cocktail Collection, interview whiskey's most important names. From high-profile makers, blenders, and ambassadors, to out-of-the-way innovators and remote pioneers. Join us as we discover the people and elements that give the water of life its spirit. It is Whiskey Wednesday, February 24th, 2021, and you're listening to episode 35. Today, we speak with Mark Gillespie, host of the longest-running whiskey podcast, WhiskeyCast. But first, stay tuned for this week's Whiskey Chronicles. Normally on Whiskey Chronicles, we touch on some historic or current events in whiskey history. But since today's guest is the host of the longest-running whiskey podcast, we're going to discuss the history of podcasting. What we now know as podcasting started finding an audience in late 2004. Audio blogging and internet radio, however, go back even further. Radio Computing Services, or RCS, provided talk-related and music software to radio stations in a digital format even before the advent of the World Wide Web in the 1980s. In the 1990s, many websites and jukeboxes provided systems for selecting and sorting audio files in various digital formats. And in 1993, Carl Malamud launched the first weekly computer radio talk show titled Internet Talk Radio. By 1996, some websites provided downloadable audio programs, such as The Dan and Scott Show, available at AOL.com. But downloadable music didn't really become a thing until the launch of Napster in 1999. By October 2000, Tristan Louis, a technology entrepreneur, proposed attaching audio and visual files to really simple syndication, better known as RSS feeds. Dave Winter, author of the RSS format, implemented Louis' idea, and Winter's company incorporated feed aggregator and RSS enclosure features into their weblogging software called Radio Userland. This software provided both send and receive components for what was at the time called audio blogging. Three years later, in October 2003, Winter and his colleagues created BloggerCon, the first blogger conference, where they demonstrated a script designed to download RSS and pass it to iTunes, where it could be transferred to an iPod. A few months later, in February 2004, journalist Ben Hammersley of The Guardian suggested the term podcasting for the audio blogging technology, while seven months after that, the term was used to describe the automatic download and synchronization of audio content. By October 2004, how-to podcast articles were appearing online, and several podcast service providers launched operations. By June 2005, Apple had added podcasting to its iTunes music software, and the medium took off from there. Just five months after Apple added podcasting to iTunes, journalist Mark Gillespie found himself researching podcasting for the radio station where he then worked. And so, WhiskeyCast was born. Up next, we speak to Mark about his journey from radio newsroom to his home podcasting studio. And later in the show, we'll have a chit-chat with whiskey maker and podcaster Seth Benheim. Stay with us. The Center for Culinary Culture, home to the Cocktail Collection, has a YouTube channel, Eats, Drinks, TV. Streaming now are cocktails, the grand tour, culinary quickies, music and booze with Mo, V is for Vino, and this podcast, Spirits of Whiskey. New shows coming soon include Complete Greek, Mighty Fine Wine, and Spirits of Rum, a podcast featuring personalities from the wide world of cane spirits. Find us on YouTube at Eat Drinks TV and subscribe now. The Center for Culinary Culture, telling the story of food and drink, one taste at a time. For more information, visit culinaryculture.center. Today on Spirits of Whiskey, we have the good fortune of having with us a whiskey podcasting pioneer, Mr. Mark Gillespie, host and executive producer of the Whiskey Cast. Now in its 16th year of production, welcome, Mark. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be with you guys. I appreciate what you're doing for the whiskey world. Oh, well, thank you. We are very excited to have you too. I've been telling Philip for 
several months. We've got to get Mark on the show. He's a whiskey podcast icon. I did not resist. No. I did not no, resist. No. <laughs> okay. So we would love to find out your whiskey journey. I know that you started this show back on November 12th, 2005, and you left a journalism career to pivot to this podcast. So tell us a little bit how you went from a journalism professional to a podcast professional, and why did you choose whiskey? I still consider myself a journalist to this day. And I'm covering the whiskey industry much the same as I would have covered anything else back in my newsroom days. Mm -hmm. Okay. So were you a general journalist? Yeah, I covered a little of everything. I did a lot of stuff with uh, politics. I was a city hall reporter. I covered political campaigns, things like that. I covered the business world. I actually had one of the first technology reporting series on local TV stations back in 1995. Oh, wow. And I think I may have very well been among the first television reporters to actually put an email address up on the screen where people could email me. <laughs> oh, funny. And this was back in 1995. I put an AOL address up. Of course you did. Um, I had talked to my bosses at the station I was working at up in Anchorage, Alaska, into letting me do these computer center reports. And we were talking about emerging technology, the internet, and things like that. And I had scored a free account from AOL as a journalist. <laughs> Score. I saw we did not have email accounts at the station yet. Right. So I had to post an AOL account as my email address. And we got a handful of emails at the time, but this was back in 1995. And nowadays, every reporter in the world has email, Twitter, Facebook, all sorts of things and the little check marks. And it all started back in 1995 with my stupid little AOL address. That's hysterical. Yeah. Back in 1995, there was only a handful of people really using email. Yeah. Right. And I still remember my old CompuServe ID. With the comma. Yeah. I remember listening to my favorite shows on NPR back around then, and all of a sudden there was a new tag in each intro and outro. You know, find us at npr.org. That's O-R-G, npr.org. And I remember, you know, I didn't have a modem at the time. I didn't have regular access to the web. And it's like, what is this? It was imprinting in progress. Yep. And now we miss such tags when they're not there. Right. You expect automatically just to type this address in and get it. Right. What actually happened, though, was that I still am a journalist. And at the time I started WhiskeyCast, I had been doing interest in technology for a number of years. The company that I was working for at the time, producing all of our broadcast content for CNN and other folks and running the television studio for the company up in uh, central New Jersey, my bosses had decided that we should start exploring podcasting in 2005 when people were talking about it, but nobody quite knew what it was. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Right. I was the poor schmuck that was going to have to make this work. <laughs> <laughs> no. And I said, hold the phone, guys. Let's talk about this for a second. Let me go play with this and experiment and see what we're going to have to do and figure this thing out ahead of time before we make a final decision so that we don't take a longstanding brand and screw it up by starting a podcast that we're going to kill after a few weeks because it's a pain in the neck. Mm -hmm. Right. So I had thought back in the summer of 2005 about maybe producing a whiskey podcast. I went on the whiskeymagazine.com message boards at the time, and I asked folks, if I produce this podcast, would you guys listen? We got 17 answers. Hmm. That's a decent amount for a back well, in 2005. I should explain. One of them said yes. Two said maybe. The other 14 said, what's a podcast? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> of course. Right. So I figured, okay, if I produce a few podcast episodes on whiskeys as a test bed and just test out RSS feeds and all the technology, I can go back and then tell the bosses whether this is a good idea or not. So I took my recording gear to Whiskey Fest that November, did a few interviews, came back and produced a couple of episodes of WhiskeyCast, the very first ones in November of 2005. The folks on the message boards then responded, oh, that's what you meant by a podcast. Okay, yeah, we'd listen. <laughs> and I went back to the brain trust and said, yeah, we can do this. Here's what the IT guys are going to have to do. Here's how we're going to have to create the workflow to make it work. But yes, we can do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we start producing the podcast. And six months later, they move the company's broadcast operation to Washington, cancel our contracts with CNN and other folks, lay me off, close my studio, and hire a kid at a third of my salary to produce the podcast. Of course. O-M-G. It happens. You went the way of all flesh. Oh, yeah. 
I'm surprised it didn't happen sooner, frankly, in media, because if you work in radio or television for any length of time, and the day that as we're recording this in January, a few days from now, I will celebrate my 41st anniversary of getting my first radio job. Uh Aha, wow. Congratulations. On January 18th, 1980 at WWY Radio in Columbus, Indiana. So I've been doing this for a while. Okay. And I've been fired multiple times. Every time with good reason, somebody <laughs> thought was a good reason. Did your Q rating ever figure? I never knew what my Q rating was, uh-huh. which may have been part of the problem. <laughs> but radio is one of those mediums where you can be fired because the new boss comes in and doesn't like the sound of your voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or any number of reasons. I never had to go through a format change, thank God. But I went through management changes and all sorts of stupid stuff over the years. And so I start, kept producing the podcast. After I got laid off. So did you take a break between your first couple episodes and when you got laid off, or did you continue the whole time? Oh, I continued producing the podcast. Once I started, I realized, hey, this is going to be fun. Okay, cool. And I kept going. So I had kept on producing and had been about six months into it when they laid me off. And by this time, I had outfitted a home studio and had the, well, I shouldn't say a home studio, as my family refers to it. And we actually have the origin story of this up on the WhiskeyCast website. Uh-huh. What we had was the dining room table where I would set up my equipment and for sound baffling reinforcement, acoustic treatment, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. I had professional sound tiles, but you know, those trifold poster board thing kids use for science fair projects. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. My sound tiles were hot glued to one of those suckers. Love it. And I would take it up, set it up on the table, fold it out, set the microphone in front of it and record at home. Love it. Family got really tired of that after a few months. <laughs> and they exiled me to my own studio in the basement. Oh. Okay. Six feet under. Yeah. <laughs> but it's actually where I am now. I've, I haven't left the basement for the most part. So that beautiful whiskey collection of yours is in the basement. It's in the basement. Yeah. My wife, Christina, found and business partner. She's the one who saved the business years ago. Ah, very good. Because she took over all the advertising and marketing duties mm-hmm. and all the business side stuff that I suck at. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. Because I am a words person, a content person, a content creator. I am lousy at business. So she's the commercial savior and builder of of Cast Strength Media. Oh, yeah, exactly. That came about after a come to Jesus meeting following my second layoff in 2009 during the financial crisis. After I'd been out of work and after that first layoff for about three, four months, and then I got landed a job at Bloomberg Television in New York Mm -hmm. doing business news and producing the podcast on the side for fun. And a little bit of money was coming in at the time from ad revenues. So that's why I kept doing it. It was basically paying my daughter's college tuition. Nice. And we finally, in 2008, 2009, during the global financial crisis, had the first round of layoffs ever in Bloomberg history. Wow. I survived the first round in February of 2009. I did not survive the second in July. Uh But the severance package was good enough to keep us going for a few months. As the severance was running out and I'd had one interview for a new job that did not lead to a second interview, my wife and our three daughters sat me down for the, what I refer to now as the legendary come to Jesus meeting. Uh And they said, you know, this podcast has potential. It's really cute and you're having a lot of fun with it, but you're not making any money. And the only way you can keep doing this is if you let mom take over the business side. Now, did your wife have prior, was she working in advertising or in the radio or anything before? Well, she had done media also. She was a former journalist as well. Oh, okay. But she had transitioned because one of us needed to make money into business consulting, public relations, and marketing. So she had all the skills I didn't have. I was just a control freak. (laughs) (laughs) Content creator and control freak. Yeah, I learned by giving up some control I actually gave myself some freedom. Uh Good. I realized that I was strangling the bird instead of holding it gently. (laughs) And by loosening the grip and giving up the control. I mean, this is a serious lesson that a lot of entrepreneurs have. Oh, sure. And need to learn is that if you delegate some things and take some of the stuff off of your plate, you have a much better chance of success. Uh Uh And she took the business side of it and ran with it. And we went from scraping And being on the verge of losing our house at times during the foreclosure crisis and the mortgage crisis of the uh, 2009 period to the point where it's now our full-time jobs for both of us. That's awesome. That's amazing. That's just amazing. So she's the one who really saved it. So I give her all the credit for that. 
But that's how it worked out was they exiled me to the basement. Mm -hmm. And I've been here ever since. But she found these great bookcases, that display you talked about. Oh, it's cool. She found those on Craigslist. Really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because there was a, a house that had sold in our town, oh, I guess about maybe eight or nine blocks away. The new owners came in and decided to redecorate. They didn't like the bookcases, wanted them gone. So the guy that she found the listing for, he had put them up there for, I think, like 450 bucks. Wow. Or no, 300 bucks. I'm sorry. Three, the price is important here in just a second. She calls him, makes the deal. We're going to go pick him up. He calls her back and says, you know what? I screwed up. My wife meant for me to sell this for 300 a piece, not 300 for the set of three. Oh, no. But he said, because I told you that I'm going to honor it, but I'm in trouble for it. And my wife said, I'll tell you what, how about if I pay you 450 and get you out of trouble? Because she's lived with me for 34 years. She knows husbands do stupid things. <laughs> So I'm going to have to meet your wife. Sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. What's her name? Just Christina. Christina. So give her a shout out. Yeah. Yes. We just refer to her as the boss. Praise be the boss. <laughs> Praise be to the boss. Okay. And so we go over, get these bookcases and the basement is unfinished. It actually looks a lot like a whiskey warehouse Ooh. in some ways because we've got the exposed beams in the ceilings. Mm -hmm. There's ductwork running from the laundry room next door in the next room for the uh, water heater and the boiler. And I took some copper engine paint and spray painted the piping copper so that it looks like distillery piping. <laughs> Cute. We could not have been luckier with those stupid shelves because they are six feet, 11 inches tall. Oh, wow. The bottom of the rafters is seven feet tall. Oh, my Lord. Wow. So they look like built-ins, but they fit with an inch to spare. That's great. Within an inch? I mean, you were in danger of not being able to upright them. Oh, no, because we tilted them into place. We brought mm -hmm. them in on an angle uh -huh. and just lifted them and tilted them into place. Uh-huh. Oh, so close. That's fantastic. Wow. And they look like they were built in. And fortunately, she measured everything ahead of time, so she knew it was going to work. I'm going, ah, okay. Okay. <laughs> but- all hail the boss. Nice. Well, wonderful work. Wonderful work. So that's why I'm in the basement today and probably will never finish the basement because to even fix the flooring in here, which was the linoleum tile that we put down when the kids were using this as their playroom years ago, I would have to move all those bottles and all those bookcases and all the other stuff out of this room <laughs> Yeah. for several days to paint and redo the flooring and maybe even put up drywall and things like that. But you know what? It works. It does work. Yeah. And yeah. it's a beautiful display. I love when I watch your video cast to see that beautiful background. It's great. Thanks. So when we were conjuring a name for our podcast, we went, you know, any number of iterations, ideas, et cetera. And when it came to spelling the word whiskey, yes. of course, we were faced with a conundrum. As all podcasters are. Whiskey, no E versus whiskey with an E. And we opted for parentheses and spirits of whiskey with parenthetical e you went with no e can you talk to us about that decision it was simple for me mm -hmm. because podcasts are global and pretty much everybody outside of the united states uses the no e version mm -hmm. of whiskey except for the irish right and whiskey cast when i was looking at the logo it was easier to center it and make the logo look better without the E. That's a good reason. And I wanted to keep it simple. And because we talk about whiskeys from all over the world. Uh-huh. Makes sense. That was the reason for it. That was during my control freak stage. So I said, that's what it's going to be. <laughs> well, during my control freak stage, which shows no signs of ending, I argued for a parenthetical E. Yeah. <laughs> the parenthetical E had not become popular at that point in 2005. Yeah. Yeah. The first time I ever saw it was our pal uh, Ryan Maloney at Julio's Liquors out in the Boston area mm -hmm. was using it for his Go Whiskey weekend uh -huh. oh, cute. with the parenthetical E, I guess maybe close to 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. That's where I okay. first saw it, but I had not even thought about the idea. Yeah. It's become quite a thing. It's become quite common. We're developing a companion podcast to this with uh, Matt Petrick, who's a rum expert, entitled Spirits of Rum with the parenthetical H. Ooh, I like it. Matt's a good guy. I like Matt. He is. Very, yeah. very. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you, I've been listening to your podcast for a while, and I noticed that every once in a while you change your music. Yeah. What's the point for that? Why do you do that? Because I get bored. Okay. I find a piece of music that I like that's royalty free that we can license easily and not have to spend a lot of money on. Mm -hmm. And I think it shakes things up. I try to at least change it out every couple of years just to freshen things a little bit. Yeah. Because if you went back and listened to the music from episode one, it would not fly today. Oh, no. It would be completely dated. I went and listened to episode one and I was like, what is this? <laughs> People still listen to episode one. Yeah. Of course. And I just said, nope, I want to find something more contemporary, something I like. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's 
like watching Miami Vice and thinking that that represents television of 2021. Right. Right. I think you have to freshen things up every so often. And Christina's been great about that. She's been the one that's come up with ideas for new segments and things like that. She'll suggest those to me and then I'll grumble and gripe and say, no, no, no. And then I'll do it and go, okay, yeah, you know, that makes a lot of sense. Very cool. Very cool. That sounds like me, doesn't it, Carrie? It does, actually. Yeah. (laughs) But the music, I won't change it unless I find something I like first. Okay. I'm not going to say, oh, I'm going to go change the music this week. Let's go look for something. Uh Uh-huh. Right, right. But if I find something I like because I get access to some of these royalty-free libraries and things like that, and I'll just go through every once in a while looking for stuff for other projects that we're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if I find a thing that says, you know what, this might make a good theme for the show Mm -hmm. or good background music, then we use it. Because I see all these comments from podcasters going, I want to use so-and-so's song in my podcast. And I'm going, oh, dear God, get your lawyers ready. (laughs) Right. Yep. Right. Yeah. Because that's a no-no. Yeah. Yeah. There's an episode of Somebody Feed Phil on Netflix starring Phil Rosenthal, the creator of Everybody Loves Raymond. And he travels the world, visiting one city after another, taking the deep dive into the local food culture. Anyway, he was in New York and a friend of his, they were going through Zabar's, shopping at Zabar's because it's a culinary experience in New York. Oh, yeah. And she starts singing a song from a Disney film and she gets, you know, three bars in. He says, stop that. We can't afford it. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. I get that completely. Good stuff. So I want to back up a little bit further. Before 2005. Okay. So obviously you were already a whiskey fan when you decided to do this test podcast for your work. Right. How long have you been drinking whiskey and when did you first get into it and what kinds of whiskeys were your introductory and or favorites when you first started drinking them? Well, this is a story that I've shared a few times. I think we all have that experience with whiskey in college. Yes. Where we're doing shots and then you swear, my God, I'm never touching that stuff again. (laughs) Well, it took maybe 15 years or so for me to get over that. In the fall, uh, or summer rather, of 1997, my grandmother had just passed, and I had to go down to Sarasota, Florida to take care of her estate. So I was down in Sarasota, and there's a great bar and restaurant down there called Michael's on East. It was involved with the Whiskey Obsession Festival for many, many years as one of the hosts. Okay. Well, they had a little annex tasting room over by Sarasota General Hospital that was pretty much just known as the tasting room. It was a little hole in the wall. One side of it was nice little wine bar desserts, things like that. And the other side was a high-end bottle shop. Oh, nice. If you tasted something you liked in the bar side, you could go through the pass-through into the retail shop and buy a bottle of it. That's cool. And I was hanging out there in the evenings after I was getting all the estate stuff done. I'd go over there and get a glass of wine or a beer or something and relax. I walk in there one night, and the special is a flight of four single malt scotches for, I think, like 15 bucks. Oh, that's great. And I thought, you know what? I need to see if I can get past drinking beer and wine and learn to drink something else Uh and see if I like it. So I sat down at the bar and told the bartender, okay, I'll take the special. Teach me what you know. So he pours four of them. I do not remember what they were, but they were from four different regions of Scotland, Mm -hmm. including an Isla. And I start nosing these things and tasting them, and I can immediately pick up on all the differences between these four. Okay. And at that point, I was hooked. Just once. That's all you did. Just one little flight. At that point, I realized that I liked it. I I said, you know what? I can learn to like this, and I can learn about it, and there are differences here. They don't all taste the same. That's true. They don't. And at that point, I said, I got to learn more about this. That's a great story. So for the next eight years, you were sipping away and then said, let's talk about whiskey. I just said, you know what? It's not going to kill me to try it. <laughs> Literally, because that's what I sort of said. I said, okay, if I, it's not that much money spent. If I don't like it, fine. I don't have to finish them. Uh-huh. And so I said, okay, let me take a taste and see if I can learn to like this and see how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. And it just worked out. And now? And from that on, I started out with mostly scotches and then expanded into bourbons and rice mm-hmm. and Canadians and other stuff. And it's been downhill ever since. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's been so downhill that you are a veritable media brand whose name is synonymous with the world of whiskey. True. I think that's I would true. not go that far, but thank you. But we can. We can. I would go that far. It would be in poor taste for you to do so. <laughs> Everybody in the whiskey business knows Mark Gillespie. Yes. What Carrie just said, every, everyone in this world knows who Mark Gillespie is. Yes. Everybody in the whiskey world. Well, I do not consider myself an expert by any means. I mean, I'm still learning things. Oh, sure. I am still learning stuff that I did not know. And I'm not an expert. I've never made it. I've never worked a still. I've never made a mash. Mm-hmm. I can taste it, I can talk about it, I can tell the stories. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I know a lot, but I don't know everything, and I don't think I ever will. 
Mm-hmm. So Well, then I'm going to jump ahead to a question that I was going to do a little bit later, but since this is kind of in that same vein, what have you learned about whiskey since you started this podcast? And what surprised you the most since you've been educating yourself in whiskey? The people and the stories. Uh-huh. Nice. Because once you understand how whiskey is made, the differences really aren't all that much from distillery to distillery. Right. It's the way that the stills are run that make the whiskey's different. I mean, the process is fairly similar, mm-hmm. depending on whether you're using pot stills or column stills. And we really haven't changed that process too much. But what I have learned and what makes this so much fun is the stories, because there are always new stories to tell. I mean, if I was just talking about whiskeys per se, I would have run out of content a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Right. But the stories keep changing. And the stories keep developing and new stories keep coming around. And that's what makes this thing so much fun. It's not the drink itself. Uh It's the aura around the drink. It's Uh the people that you're sharing it with, the people that you run into at festivals and that you run into just by chance and the friendships and the relationships. I think I can safely speak for both Carrie and me here when I say that we have found the same to be true. And that's why we named the show Spirits of Whiskey. Yes, it's a play on words, but it's about the people who make, promote, write about, own, etc. whiskey. Yeah. Yeah. That's where the magic is. Yeah, because it's easy to make whiskey. It's harder to make really good whiskey, but it's not hard to make whiskey in general. But when you start talking about the art of blending whiskeys or the creativity that goes into deciding on a mash bill or what you're going to do with it, it's the human decisions that really affect the brands and affect what goes into the bottle. And it's those stories behind these decisions and uh, asking a blender. uh, I had one, I did an interview earlier today for this weekend's podcast with Billy Walker, who used to run Ben Riach, Glendronic and Glen Glassock distilleries and now owns the Glen Allocky. And we're talking about cask finishes and I go, okay, Billy, so be honest with me. Tell me which one didn't work. (laughs) And he starts cracking up and talks about this one Ben Riach that they put into a Tokai cask. Mm -hmm. Interesting. And I go, let me guess. It was a peated Ben Riach. He goes, yeah, we put a Ah. peated Ben Riach into a Tokai cask and it did not work. And ever since then, I've stayed away from Tokai casks. Uh Aha. Oh, now see, if he had put a regular non-peated, he would have come up with a tale of cake. Yeah. We just interviewed Brendan McCarran along with David Blackmore about a tale of cake. Yeah. You know, serendipity. Here we are. Now, Brendan and David are great guys. I love talking with them. Last time I saw Brendan was down in New Zealand last March, the week before all hell broke loose. Right, right. You had a lot of great content, by the way, from New Zealand. That was great. Thank you. Speaking of New Zealand, not New Zealand in particular, but this notion of globality. Uh, Whiskey, you know, yes, there are a handful of countries responsible for the vast majority of the world's whiskey production. But whiskey is now produced, just like there's wine produced in all of the 50 states. There is whiskey produced, I don't think it's going out on a limb here, to say most countries. Yeah. Countries of Scandinavia, Germany, South Africa, India, of course, huge producer of whiskey. Some of it's actually whiskey. Be nice now. (laughs) I've been to Amrit in Bangalore, so. Yeah, I'm just saying a lot of, you know, Indian whiskey brands are actually cane spirit. Yes. Because of the laws there, but but Amrut, Paul John, you know, there are some excellent whiskeys coming out of India. Right. Anyway, my point is there's still a handful of countries responsible for most of the global output. But reviewing your list of episodes, we see that you are aiming to achieve some geographic balance and inclusivity. Tell us about how you go about that, because you don't want to, you know, chase all the novelties and crowd out the better known brands. But still, you want to make sure that you're covering Scandinavia and Germany and Wales. Talk to us about that. When you're doing 52 episodes a year that are an hour long, you've got a lot of space to fill. Right. I don't have to worry about crowding out the big boys to get the little stories in. Very good. Yeah. We're finding the same thing. It's feeding the beast. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. That's the term we used to use in all news radio. When I was down in Houston for five years doing all news radio, it was feeding the beast because that newscast has to go on the air. Mm-hmm. And you better have something to put in it. So mm-hmm. this podcast comes out once a week and there's plenty of time for content. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, basically back to the world whiskey stuff. I mean, that's part of what makes this great is all these fun stories. Mm-hmm. Right. And the really cool stories is that sometimes I talk to these folks that are doing whiskeys in unusual locations or non-traditional locations. And they've told me they've actually gotten the idea 
from listening to Whiskey Cast oh, wow. and realizing that they could do this. That's beautiful. We've had at least half a dozen distilleries that have been founded since the show began where they said openly, hey, we got the idea for this from listening to you. We've saw all these other little guys starting up and figured we could do it too. Wow. So that happens from time to time. That must feel good. Yeah. You go into journalism hoping that you're going to affect lives and make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. This idealistic view that journalists have coming out of J school. And yeah, I'm probably having more influence now on making lives better than I ever did as a mainstream journalist in broadcasting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wow. One of the things I find really intriguing is that most countries that are off the whiskey map, if they're making whiskey, it's single malt. But increasingly, what we're seeing around the world is that they are adopting, they're experimenting with American styles. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to move on to the next question here. How did you come about building your brand and your audience from the early days? And do you think that the way you did it then would work in today's podcasting market? Or do you think you lucked into the strategy that you used back then to propel you into this now getting to be overly crowded market, I think? And being a pioneer, you know, it was not a crowded market. Well, you're going to laugh, but we've actually never done any kind of marketing. It's all been word of mouth. Wow. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I mean, it's basically, we started it and people tell their friends or you see it on Twitter, Well, because I'm active on social media. Right. And that's how we, it's all been organic. We've never done any kind of a marketing campaign, any kind of a promotional campaign. We did at one point buy a few ads on Facebook, but we got lost in all the political stuff. Right. And that's been basically it. I mean, we've never had the budget realistically. We've talked about it for years about doing something, but we've never taken out ads in whiskey publications or anything like that. We've never done any kind of serious concentrated marketing effort. We've just tried to grow it organically. Speaking of organically, I know that you have all the social media handles. Do you answer all of that or does, does Christina help you? No, she doesn't. I do all the social media. Wow, that's a lot. I handle all the social media. I will run things by her occasionally or I will post something and then I'll immediately be told, you shouldn't have said that. Take it down. <laughs> I was about to say, does that happen? I was about to ask. It happens. It does happen because... I love to answer questions, no matter what the level of experience is, right. of the person asking the question. I love talking to newcomers to whiskey. Then I'll get somebody that tries to troll me. Mm -hmm. I have a very thin skin when it comes to trolls. There are times when I will just come up with a great comeback and I'll just fire it off and I'll be told, no, that needs to come down, please. <laughs> <laughs> Which makes perfect sense in hindsight. It's good that you have someone helping you with that. Yeah. So, but I answer all the emails. I look at every email that comes in. And I answer all the social media stuff and I answer all the questions, including the stuff that never goes out in the air. So I have noticed on some of the social media posts that you do get a little bit more political when you told us earlier that you used to do political journalism. That didn't seem to surprise me. So yeah, I've had people tell me to stay in my lane. Yeah, I've seen that. I think they should shut up. <laughs> yeah. And I've immediately said, I'm sorry, this is my social media feed. And while I keep politics out of the show. Right. I only discuss political news when it applies to whiskey, such as all the stuff about the recent excise tax breaks, right. legislation, uh -huh. uh, the tariffs and things like that. Right. That's where I will discuss politics when it directly has an impact on whiskey lovers. Right. And the 14K hand sanitizer hit. Yeah. Stuff like that. Right. That's when I'll talk about politics, but in a balanced viewpoint. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When it's a matter of policy. Yeah. When it's a matter of policy. I'll talk about it. Mm -hmm. Social media, I'm more open to sharing my opinions. Mm -hmm. And I believe, and I've said this and tweeted this, that a one-dimensional Twitter timeline is really boring. <laughs> That's true. It's very true. So if you follow me on Twitter, you're going to hear about politics every once in a while. You're going to hear about my love for motorsports. You're going to hear about my love for hockey. And you're going to see pictures of the dog. <laughs> yep. Love the pictures of the dog. Among yeah. other things. You're going to see pictures of the dog. You're going to find out what I'm drinking that night. I'm going to share it with you. And if you don't like it, you don't have to follow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I agree 100%. And I have followers who put things like hashtag so-and-so is illegitimate in their lines, mm -hmm. in their headlines. Wow. And I don't block them. And we can agree to disagree on stuff. Because my belief is that if you have a love for whiskey, we can talk about that till the cows come home. Mm -hmm. Right. We can agree to disagree on the political stuff. Mm -hmm. One of the things about social media is there, if you have any sort of notoriety, there's the ever-present danger of a shitstorm. Oh, yeah. It's always just off screen, if you will. Yep. Yep. Ready to take the spotlight. 
Put it this way. I've been a journalist for 40 years. I've dealt with shitstorms my entire life. <laughs> when I was a political reporter, somebody would overhear a conversation I might or might not have had with my cameraman in a certain public situation and then called my bosses and told them that I was bad-mouthing a certain leader of the Baptist temple in Anchorage at the time. <laughs> During stories on stuff that he was also the leader of the Republican Party of Alaska at the time, mm -hmm. I didn't use the word idiot <laughs> or anything like that. But yeah, yeah, there's been cases where I've had people, I've got a thick skin for that stuff because one, if I've made you mad, at least you're paying attention. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And I won't make you mad without a good reason. Has there been anyone you've longed to interview, but has eluded you? There are people I've regretted not being able to get on the show. No, not being able to get on the show. Oh, okay. All right. All right. All right. Uh, for instance, Booker No, the late legendary Booker No. Uh -huh. I started the show a year or so after he passed on. Okay. I would have loved to have been able to sit down and talk with Booker. The late Charlie Gordon from William Grant and Sons, who passed on before I could get him for an interview. I had requested it many times to sit down and talk with him. And one time I got the word back saying, Charlie is going to want the questions in advance. Well, I don't do that. We get those sometimes. Yeah. I don't do that. And as I pointed out to them in all of my years as a reporter, I've never given anyone the interview questions in advance. Even when I sit down with the president of the United States, he doesn't get the questions in advance. Mm -hmm. And I was told, well, Charlie thinks he's more important than the president of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> Which I cracked up laughing. Have you interviewed the president of the United States? Yeah, President Bush, the first President Bush. Okay, 41. 41, mm -hmm. before the 1992 election, mm -hmm. about a month before he was run out of office and mm -hmm. lost his re-election bid. Yeah. We sat down in, I believe, the uh, map room at the White House uh -huh. for a one-on-one -on -one for about six, seven minutes. Nice. And I've had the chance in my past to interview other heads of state, Jean Chrétien, the former Canadian prime minister, I believe, and Kenny, the Taoiseach of Ireland. Mm -hmm. several years ago at Middleton, in some of those situations. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I've dealt with heads of state, politicians, CEOs my entire career. Uh -huh. So I don't intimidate easily. The only time I've ever gotten intimidated during an interview was when I was working in uh, Detroit radio in the mid 80s. And part of my gig was covering the Detroit Pistons during the bad boys era. Uh -huh. <laughs> and I managed to have both Bill Lambeer and Rick Mahorn pissed off at me at the same time. <laughs> oh, wow. What did you do? <laughs> it was some dumb question. I forget what it was, but all I know is they were not happy. And Mahorn is six foot 11. Lamb or, I'm sorry, Lambeer is 6'11", Mahorn is 6'10", both well over 250. And it's a whole lot of man. Yeah, while I'm a big guy, I'm 6'3". Next to those two, I'm going, okay, guys, I'm doing my job here. Cut me a break. And they were not happy. <laughs> I believe they had lost the game that night, and I was in the locker room interviewing them. But yeah, there was somebody else I would love to have on among the living, Bob Delgarno. Uh-huh who was the master whiskey maker for the McAllen for years and is now working with Glenn Turret. Oh, nice. Every time I put a request in to talk to Bob, Bob would say, I don't want to do interviews. They'd tell me, Bob, Bob hates doing interviews. And I've put the request in now with the guys at the Glenn Turret, and it's, Bob hates doing interviews. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think Bob hates doing interviews, Mark. <laughs> yes, he does. Or he they had to do one when they did their, when they showed off their first Glenn Turret release, I got him on a live webcast. Uh-huh. And threw a question and he goes, damn, I finally got to answer a question from him. Yeah. Colleagues were all happy to talk, but just Bob's going, I don't want to do this. I just did. I hate doing interviews. And I'm, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Carrie. You're like, good. Let's just chat then. Just chat. We'll just chat. <laughs> As Norton Graham says, it's a chat show. Just make it a chat show. Oh yeah. Yeah. Norton Graham gets a lot more out of his guests than most American talk show hosts do. Yeah. No, he's great. I love him. Considerably. Does he let them drink ahead of time? Well, I think they drink on set. I mean, they're all having like a glass of wine or a mug of coffee or a shot of something. There's something in there. Yeah. Yeah. The, 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 so. the, the, the guests really cut loose compared to their performance in American talk shows. It's, uh, it's remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. So cocktails. Cocktails. We end each episode talking about cocktails. Philip? We never ask our guest for a favorite cocktail good because you know people are always asking me oh philip what's your you direct the cocktail collection what's your favorite cocktail and my standard response is as if why would i ever limit myself when there are so many fabulous cocktails i love that do you have a go-to category you know when you're at the end of the day you want to order or mix something yourself where do you go what do you do i am a lazy person <laughs> <laughs> my idea of the perfect cocktail is 
two ounces of whatever whiskey I want, mm -hmm. five precisely poured drops of room temperature bottled water. Mm. Okay. And go from there. Aha. Uh -huh. Okay. It's, I don't put ice in. The one time I will mix something occasionally for myself would be something like an Irish whiskey and ginger ale. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like a Jameson and ginger or something okay. like that. Highball, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm a simple person. I am too lazy to get into cocktail recipes and have to measure things. Mm -hmm. Well, let's say you're out ordering and you're in a craft cocktail bar and there's this beautiful menu. Do you have a bias for one type or another? I will drink an occasional old fashioned. Mm -hmm. okay. I stay away from the sours because I'm allergic to eggs. Mm -hmm. oh, wow. So I can't have anything that has egg whites in it. Okay. All right. So I have to watch out for that. No flips for you. Yeah. So... I stay away from those. Generally, I'll look at their regular whiskey list mm -hmm. and try to see if I can find something I haven't tasted before mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. rather than pick a cocktail. Uh -huh. I bet that's pretty hard these days, too, though. Well, you never know, because depending on the region, if you can find some of these craft distilleries that I haven't had the that's chance true. to try stuff from. That's true. Oh, yeah. They're doing a pretty good job in places of getting themselves on the craft bar. Yeah. So that's where I often get to try some of these whiskeys or certain expressions that might not have been available to me as samples that they might have. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So little things like that. I'm partial to an occasional old-fashioned. Uh -huh. I like an occasional highball. Other than that, if somebody pours something and wants me to try it, other than the sours, then yeah, I'll give it a try and I might like it, mm -hmm. but it's not something I'm going to try to replicate at home. I just can't do it. I don't have the patience. <laughs> I'd say at least 90% of our guests, likewise, they're stirred aromatics. It's old fashions. It's Manhattan's Boulevardier's whiskey forward. Yep. We're the same way. I will drink something citrusy and shaken if it's put in front of me, but rarely will I order it and I'm even less likely to make it. I'll drink something with gin if it's on a hot day, mm -hmm. okay. like a gin and tonic on a really warm day with a couple of ice cubes. That I'll go for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like gin because you get so many different botanicals and, and depending on which gins you're getting. So sometimes I like to experiment. Oh, yes. So much variation. Yeah. So much variation. How about a Negroni? Negronis I like. Uh, the best Negroni I've ever had was made by the one and only Gaz Regan. Ah. Nice. And yes, he did use his finger. And he used his finger, of course. Yes. <laughs> of course. Yes, yes. So it's hard to have a Negroni and not think of Gaz Regan. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. And the finger stir. And, and I can't tell you how many, uh, what we've done maybe 33, 34 episodes, not all of them published just yet, but 34 episodes. And Gaz's name has been invoked by guests in about one quarter of the episodes. I don't know if I'd go that Close. Far. At least an eighth. Yeah. At least, At least a fifth. Anyway. Yes. A fifth. Mm. Let's go with a fifth. A fifth of Gaz. A fifth of Frisky. Okay. <laughs> a fifth is always a good thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Mark, thank you so much for coming on the show. It is a pleasure to have a whiskey pioneer such as yourself in the podcast space grace your presence. Finding out all these fun little tidbits of how Whiskey Cast started has been fascinating. And I hope we can get back with you sometime soon. Absolutely. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure, Mark. Thank you. Up next, we'll have a chit chat with Seth Benheim about whiskey and podcasting. Stay with us. Hey, do you like whiskey, food, and adventure? I do. Hi, I'm Carrie. I'm Philip. I'm Louise. I'm the chef. Chef Louise Leonard, as in our World of Wheezy segment host here on the podcast, and Whiskey, a Chef's Journey. That chef. That's right, the project that started this very podcast. The series stars our very own chef, Louise Leonard, winner of Emmy-winning The Taste on ABC. And explores and connects the worlds of whiskey and food, city by city, country by country. Would you like to see this spirited culinary adventure on a TV near you? Well, you can by helping us finish the pilot episode through our crowdfunding campaign. For more information, including behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and incentives. And to make a pledge, visit our website, whiskeyachefsjourney.com. Or search for our campaign, Whiskey A Chef's Journey, at gofundme.com. That's gofundme.com now. Well, I think it's a cheers to that. <laughs> Let's. Cheers. cheers. Louise is off this week, so we've decided to bring in Seth Benheim, who is the founder, CEO of Broken Barrel Whiskey, and he also is a podcast host, so we thought we'd chat with him about making whiskey and making a podcast. Hey, Seth, how you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. So tell us a little bit about Broken Barrel, and then tell us a little bit about your podcast. Okay. Broken Barrel is a whiskey company I started in 2017. 
We make bourbon, rye, and soon American whiskeys that are made with broken oaks that uh, barrels that go into the whiskey. So rather than put whiskey in wood, we put wood in whiskey. And that's our concept. And we, we created and invented the oak bill, which is kind of complementary to a mash bill. So that's the big thing about broken barrel. All of our whiskey has an oak bill. That is awesome. And then tell us, did the whiskey come before the podcast or the podcast oh, become... Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Wait, well, years, years and years before the podcast. And what was the catalyst to start the podcast? I couldn't get enough of my my fix of spirits with my own brands. I wanted to talk about tequila and gin and mezcal and all these other things. And, and you know, my world was mostly whiskey and mainly American whiskey and young whiskey. And, you know, I wanted to talk about scotch and I wanted to drink scotch and I wanted to learn about these things. And so I created the podcast with the, my partner, Cameron Stevens, and the two of us started it as a kind of random project with no goal. And we ended up getting about nine episodes in and then we partnered up with caskcartel.com, which is an online e-commerce store. And since then we've been the cartel hour and it's been wonderful we've, we've really blown up which is nice and that's been great so that's that's exciting very cool so what was it called originally we were calling it the la spirits society okay being based in los angeles but yeah now it's gone now <laughs> <laughs> all right so tell me how long have you been doing the cartel hour now cartel hour podcast has been going since december of 2019 Oh, wow. But it really became the Cartel Hour in March. So this March is one year with the Cartel Hour. Very cool. And what kind of guests have you had on your show? Oh, tons. Bartenders, uh, YouTubers that do whiskey reviews. We've had brand owners, brand uh, ambassadors, master distillers, celebrity brand owners. We had Metallica on the show with Lars Ulrich. We just did Yellow Wolf who is a, a more like country hip hop rap artist out of Alabama nice. in Nashville now. We had Terry Bradshaw from Bradshaw Bourbon on the show, Ron White. We had Phil Rosenthal from uh, Everyone Loves Raymond and nice. Everybody Feed Phil. That was great. So we drank with some great people, a lot of great, great guests on the show, which been, makes it a lot of fun. Yeah. So now that you're part of the Cartel Hour, does the Cartel people help you get your guests or are you guys still responsible for all of that? Um, it's a mix. Uh, I just got us set up with Clown from Slipknot, uh, one of the uh, founding original members of the group Slipknot, and they released an Iowa uh, distilled whiskey called Iowa Number no. 9, oh, wow. uh, named after the nine members of Slipknot. So that was me, not them. So, you know, it's kind of a mix. You know, they, they got us Yellow Wolf as, a, as an artist for his Creek Water Whiskey. So now, you know, it, it's, it's kind of been like one us, one them, one us, one them. So Very nice. it's been it's a back and forth. Very cool. So what is your favorite thing about doing the podcast? Definitely the opportunity to drink with people that are behind other brands and hearing their story about how they got into the industry and where you know the genesis of some of these iconic brands especially some of the bigger name brands like Michter's we just did Michter's and it's really fun to hear people's experience with these kind of household name whiskeys and, and, and gins and vodkas actually we haven't done any vodkas yet but I'm sure we'll get to that this year no question about it that's the best part is hearing how these people have created it and then also just like you know from a bartender perspective or even like you know the YouTube guy we had on the show from Blind Whiskey Reviews it was about their take on a category or a spirit or a brand and what they thought of it and we also reviewed the stuff too I mean Nine out of 10 episodes, we are grading the spirits and giving them kind of our range of, you know, pretty much A plus down to like maybe a C is maybe the lowest grade we've given a spirit, which is pretty much like we're not into it, but we don't really go like DF. There's nothing that's been undrinkable. We wouldn't really, right. unless somebody sent them. Well, then you probably wouldn't have them on the show if it was undrinkable. Yeah, no, I mean, we, <laughs> we're drinking Michter's and, you know, Bardstown Bourbon Company and, uh, you know, this is good stuff. We're not drinking bottom shelf plastic label crap. Uh, right. It's not really the audience of the show, nor is it. Th that stuff doesn't need a podcast generally. Right. right. You can figure it out, but for $10, you can go buy a bottle of black velvet and figure that one out. Right, right. 
So what are your plans coming up for the future? What are you, What's your next big thing? We need to cover more categories like brandy and you know, we did a we did an Armagnac with Raj Bakta and Bakta Armagnac brandy. So I, I would like to do you know copper and kings sometime this year. Maybe pull that off and get some American brandy in there. And would like to get a vodka brand for sure. We haven't done any vodka. Maybe you know, some other more undiscovered categories uh, as well. Cool. And then what's the next move for Broken Barrel? Oh, uh, big packaging change in the summer. Really? Time around May, we're going to have a new bottle, new labels, new recipes. A lot of stuff is changing. Wow. And what's what's the reason for that? We, you know, we, we morph Broken Barrel out of the Infused Spirits brand. Okay. And as a result of that, it still has to this day the same label set up and shape and all that and, and artwork and design and ornaments and it, it's a completely different brand so it needs to have its own life its own appropriate you know style and, and logo and all that stuff so we got to fix that we, we're, we are we're ha- it's happening as we speak awesome well, it's been very good talking to you. It's been very intriguing following you and your journey through your whiskey making and your podcasting. I love listening to your podcast and I love drinking your whiskey. And it was a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you very much. Yeah. And soon we'll have you on as a regular guest. And we're going to talk about everything, including how you were in the pilot of Whiskey Chef's Journey. Oh, yeah. Can't wait to see that. For show notes on today's podcast, please visit our website at spiritsofwhiskey.com. That's whiskey with an E. We'll include links to supporting documents from today's Whiskey Chronicles, as well as links to both Mark and Seth's podcasts. As always, you'll see upcoming topics, a guest roster, and links to past shows. Thanks for joining us. Until next time. Slunchavon. You can become a sustaining supporter of Spirits of Whiskey by making a monthly donation. Just visit the Spirits of Whiskey page at anchor.fm. That's anchor.fm forward slash spirits dash of dash whiskey and click on the support button. And if you really like us, give us a five star rating and a review. Thank you. Spirits of Whiskey is produced by First Real Entertainment and the Center for Culinary Culture, home of the Cocktail Collection, and is available via Anchor, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and wherever fine podcasts are heard.